All right, hey, John, good to see you again. Uh, what are we going to talk about today? What, what do we got on deck? We got some good stuff today. Um, we're talking about FCC's broadband maps, uh, talking about 5G manufacturing, and hey, it's time to start thinking about the agenda for the year as far as shows and all the opportunities for us to get out and uh, uh, hobnob with everybody. So upcoming, upcoming show schedules, good stuff today, I think. All right, it sounds like it. Let's get to it. Let's do it. You've got mail. This is Andy and John Talk Telecom with Andy Netzel and John Rewe. All right, you're not logged into Andy and John Talk Telecom. I am Andy Netzel. I'm John Rewe. John, how does uh, how does this Saturday find you? It finds me well. Um, excited to talk about telecom news. Um, kind of, you know, feel like such a geek, but it's it's just like, man, these are really interesting times. I mean, it's just, I mean, the whole the whole time we've had this podcast, it's just been like a really really unique time in this industry, and it's just it never stops. It's like drinking from a fire hose, trying to keep up with the trends. How about yourself? Yeah, uh, I mean, I'm good. Um, College football is over, so I'm a little bit sad, uh, but I can't complain. It's been like 70 degrees here in Houston for, uh, for a couple weeks, so um, I feel feel great that I can get out and uh, do a lot of things outdoors and outside, so, so that's good. But yeah, hey, speak, Speaking of college football, I mean, you know, now that we're a few days at, yeah, after that, but what? any uh, key takeaways from uh, some of those games? Uh, yes, Georgia is very good. Yeah, played the absolute beat down on TCU. Who deserved to be there? Um, and anybody saying otherwise, I think just hasn't been paying attention. They they had a not a great game. They ran into a juggernaut that is Georgia. Um, and yeah, I mean it was good. We had a great semifinal games and then uh, a real stinker for the uh, <laughs> ship. But they all can't be great, so it is what it is. Yep, good finale. Yeah, good finale. Good, a uh, good, good. Two out of three ain't bad, right? Yeah, not too bad. Is that what Milov said. Um, so two out of three ain't bad, uh, but you're not wrong. There's a lot going on in telecom and what's really been fascinating about it will continue to be in the future. Is that like everything that in the world touches telecom in some way or connectivity in some way, right? Like everything is either internet based or phone based or, you know, web based, um, you know, everything is connected. So any kind of advancements going on in our industry, in the telecom industry, um, have, you know, create ripples and waves and have a greater effect than just on the telecom industry, which is what makes it cool and fun to follow. Yeah. I mean, it's just more, so much more relevant to everyone's lives than people realize, you know, I mean, on one hand, it's like, you know, a lot of folks are just like, Hey, my Wi-Fi is down in my house. And that's what they think the internet is. It's just the Wi-Fi in their house. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, when you start thinking about all the different things that people use on a daily basis and all the new technology that's coming out, uh, connected devices. It's like, man, everything that's happening out in the infrastructure world to build all this stuff is so insane. And all of it touches pretty much everything we do nowadays in a day-to-day -day, um, life in America. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, Hey, that's why we like to follow. That's why we, uh, we, we do this. That's why we do what we do. Right. Man, yeah, it, it is. And I just I thought I was driving up to um, uh, driving up to Dallas the other day and it was in the morning, and I just was shocked at the number of telecom 
infrastructure, pieces of machinery, I pass. Like, mm-hmm. there's there's projects going on all up and down the highway. I pass so many cable placers and so many bucket trucks and so many boring rigs and underground uh, gear, like, and loads of vaults and conduit. It's so insane when you know what you're looking at, just how much of that stuff is running around out here. It's but it's pretty bananas. It's, it's so every new how every new subdivision right needs to be connected. Every new business and any real estate needs to be connected. Anytime the government decides to widen the street or or you know widen the highway, lines have to be moved. Um, it, it is it's it, it is a utility right. Just like anytime. The city wants to widen the street. Well, they got to move, you know, the, the sewage and the pipes and all that. Mm-hmm. They got to move telecom too. They got to move electric too. It, it is a utility, um, you know, that that some would argue is as necessary as power, as water, um, and, and all of that. So it's yeah, it's it's out there. There's a lot, a lot of it. Well, well what we always say is the most critical utility, I guess, is power and water, but. I mean, all of that stuff is managed and uh, monitored by telecom connected devices. I mean, smart meters, you know, on your water, on your power, like um, there's there's fiber running through all these um, electrical utility lines so that they can monitor all these different things, these stations and out in the field. I mean, all of it is connected. So, I mean, arguably, if, if the internet goes down, but there's certain there's aspects of the other critical infrastructure that's you know at a higher tier, I guess, that are going to collapse too. One might argue. So it's almost like uh, um, connectivity, internet service, telecom service is is it's necessary. It's 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 you know it's if electricity and water are one A and one B, then then you know telecom and connectivity is one C. Yeah, I'd say so. Also really important for other infrastructure like uh you know airlines. I mean, yeah. The, I mean all the flight delays that we've heard about lately, you know, with FCC's uh, bad piece of code or whatever that crashed yet uh, the other uh, other day and uh, all these other things, it's all computer glitches. It's like, well, all those computers are connected to the internet. You really can't do anything without the internet. Man, that's crazy. Like one, I read, I think it was like one engineer who was going to make an update and like placed one file in the wrong place. And that caused their, the, it's the notums, right? And it caused that collapse. And without that, you know, they can't fly without the notums. Um, It's just crazy. (laughs) One little thing like that can, uh, uh, can happen, but you know what else um, connectivity is being used for uh, or being used, what industry is being used in a lot? What's that? Manufacturing. So you want to talk about some some 5G and manufacturing? Man, I would love to because everybody wants to hear about 5G and and you hear all these stories about how 5G is not living up to its promise, but we want to hear good success stories about 5G. Let's hear about manufacturing and how it's levering 5G. Yeah, so it's already being used by tons of manufacturers today. Connected screwdriver, right? <clears throat> so uh, China Mobile and Ericsson, uh, they were they enabled automation uh, by applying cellular Internet of Things technology using connected tools such as screwdrivers. The world's first cellular Internet of Things based trial took place at Ericsson's radio product manufacturing site in Nanjing. There are approximately 1,000 high pre- precision screwdrivers in the factory, 
Uh, and these screwdrivers require routine calibration and lubrication based on utilization time. So until now, it was a manual procedure that was performed periodically and documented in handwritten logs. Um, but th so these high precision screwdrivers were fitted with real time motion sensors that were attached to um, these Internet of Thing modules. Uh, they were able to collect data and they ran that data over a 5G uh, cellular network over to the company's private cloud and backend systems. So they knew when to make these uh, um, calibrations and to, to recalibrate these screwdrivers based on real data instead of like, okay, we're going to do it every six months or we're going to do it every three months because that's the average of you know how many times these screwdrivers get turned or whatever, right? So they're, they're taking actual data and using that to calibrate their, their screwdrivers, right? Their, their machines wow. process versus just a, uh, um, you know, just a periodic, whatever, semi-annual so check, whatever it could be. That's like, kind of like, you know, when you used to change your oil in your car every, uh, however many months or 3000 miles or 6,000 miles. And now the maintenance minder tells you based on your driving habits and how, you know, many miles and the temperature and all this stuff when you should change your oil. So it's more efficient, you know, instead of just a, a dumb, you know, arbitrary interval. Exactly. That's fascinating. I mean, that's a, it's the exact, you know, same scenario. Absolutely. Huh. So, you know, theoretically, like these screwdrivers, I assume it's probably like a torque setting or something. So they can't over torque a screw into plastic and whatever widgets they're building. And I guess, you know, you turn it a thousand times and then it says, oh, it needs recalibration. Maybe it has a light that turns red. Set it aside, grab one with a green light and go back to putting together widgets. Really yeah, absolutely. Bad. And, and uh, <laughs> you think torque wrenches, right? That whether yeah. aviation or, um, you know, automotive, um, you know, these things. I remember when, back when I was in the army. Uh, in a, a maintenance um, aviation platoon, right? They had the torque wrenches and every whatever. It was periodic, just like these screwdrivers. Every six months, three months, whatever it was, they had to get recalibrated. Well, instead, we can put these sensors on it and we can actually, um, it's, it's like just in time, right? Like, okay, you've reached the point where you need recalibration versus maybe this wrench really didn't need recalibration for another, you know, X amount of turns that, um, you know, and we wasted the, um, the, the capability of the ranch we wasted man hours, whatever it is. Um, yeah. I mean, just that, and that's just one use case of connecting devices, connecting manufacturing uh, processes and tools to a 5g cellular network, collecting that data, analyzing it and, and acting on it. Um, it's, it's crazy how the future of manufacturing can change, you know, once everything is interconnected um, and there's this internet of things within a manufacturing facility, um, and it's all tied together. And then, you know, you tie that to, you know, the, the front end and the and sales, um, you know, the, it's, it's, it's crazy how 5G can really transform, uh, you know, one industry that being manufacturing. And there's just so many ways I can think of that, that or so many things that that enables. I mean, but one thing like, you know, think about an airplane, like you know more about this than I do, or a helicopter that's got a maintenance interval where you need to um, tighten or torque certain fasteners at a periodic uh, interval, you know, you probably have to go to a paper checklist and write down the torque of each, you know, station on the, on the plane or the uh, airframe that you torqued. Whereas you probably could have it to where it actually, the, the torque wrench reads the torque setting and then automatically logs it 
to that uh, point on the checklist, which is all on a tablet or something, you just put in which airframe you were servicing and then it does all that. I mean, any other kind of piece of equipment, like it might even have like, oh, if this is a wear item that, that gets disposed of after a certain period of time, it already prompts you via the AI that's crunching all this stuff. Like, hey, you've got maintenance, uh, a part that's about, or a tool that's about to be disposed in, you know, a hundred more turns, go ahead and order another one to replace it. You know, there's just the use cases are countless. And the, I guess the question though is like, why is 5G enable this? Why did we not do this with Bluetooth or Wi-Fi or even 4G? Uh, you know, I think 5G and, just has the, the, the bandwidth, um, the speed, the reliability that previous generations of cellular, cellular technology and, and previous generations of other networks, whether it's Wi-Fi cable, just, just didn't have, right? 5G just yeah. has a wider bandwidth. It's, it's a wider highway. More data can go down and go down faster, come back faster. Um, and it can connect to, you know, things like AI to, to run those, um, you know, that analysis of, of the data that's being collected. Uh, you know, 5G is just a, a big step up in, in all all ways and all sorts of capabilities. I think when we first kind of talked about um, Internet of Things a few years ago, like the conversations were around like pinging periodically with a, a temperature or a, uh, a location or, you know, GPS coordinates of a device. But now it's like, well, we want to collect all this other information as well. And so it really is to the point where it's like, well, maybe we do need 5G bandwidth to actually communicate all this stuff and and uh and be able to transfer all this data and i think you know the latency like the faster you get data the faster you can act and mm -hmm. it's just a much more stable platform than than all its predecessors and i think that really is the story of 5g that's less sexy to the consumer but you know we've we've talked about this a lot on the podcast how you know even if 5g seems like it's letting down the you know the consumer with their um new iphone uh, the commercial use cases really are where the action is. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, um, yeah, it's exciting. There, there's a lot to, uh, to still be discovered and still be had and, and still connect. Um, yeah, it's only going to improve things. Yeah. Be fun to watch. We've talked in the past about the need to update, um, the maps, uh, you know, broadband maps and connectivity maps, cable maps, all of that. And John, you got a little bit uh, more about these broadband maps. Um, so, so what you got for us? Oh man! So you know, the maps are a recurring saga and have been, you know, in some form or fashion for a long time, depending on the application. I think nobody trusts them, but it also is necessary for the government to figure out where they're going to give money for, uh, you know building out broadband in rural America uh, or underserved areas uh, more broadly, which mostly are rural. The biggest recent program, of course, is the Broadband, broadband Equity Access and Deployment Program, BEAD, um, $42.45 billion. And that got approved last year and all the um, you know states are applying for it. This is the money that's getting given by the, the NTIA is actually administering this giving it to the states, which will then fund projects at the state level. And, you know, this is the timeline of this has been kind of fast. And basically the FC or the NTIA is getting ready to disperse $42.45 billion. And one of the key items was the maps so we can figure out what's going to be eligible. Um, so back on, let's see, the 16th of 
December, uh, NTIA, that's the National Telecommunications and Information Administration, uh, head Alan Davidson um, was excited about uh, announcing the first draft of the new broadband maps that they came out with as a kind of hearkening it as a technological marvel and blah, blah, blah. It's going to be great. Um, but definitely the acknowledgement was there that there would be challenges to it because it was going to be imperfect. And so the challenge period um, began and that challenge period ends on January 13th. So that would be, you know, roughly a month from when the first draft came out. And now we're trying to, um, that was yesterday. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we're trying to then, um, get that done so that they can figure out where the money's going to go. But there's a lot of problems with the maps. I looked at them when they first came out and, um, it's actually pretty cool. Um, I mean, it does work really well. It's broadbandmap.fcc.gov. And you can just go on there and put in an address and it'll tell you whether it's served or not and by what types of service. You can filter it by um, terrestrial, uh, fixed wireless, licensed wireless, all these things. And I put in an address that I... Broadband.fcc.gov? Broadbandmap.fcc.gov. Okay. Um, you want to check my work there, but... Um, Oh, you're good. I'm, I'm just pulling up right now and you are hundred percent correct. That is it. Yeah. So I, I went to an address that I knew did not have really good service. And according to this, you've got 100 down 20 megabit upload available. And in fact, if you look at the state of Texas, which, you know, sorry, we are always so Texas centric. So that's where we live. But if, if you filter it to, um, 100 by 20 like it's still is pretty amazing coverage and what you'll really find interesting is that the most not uh, underpopulated areas of texas which is the panhandle far west texas south texas it's pretty much all blue which uh, that indicates like a pretty good pretty consistent coverage of 100 by 20 um which we will point out is above the 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 minimum benchmark, right, of, of 25.3. Yes, and if you sort it by 25.3, um, you'll see that, um, you know, things are pretty great. Uh, let me actually change the, I've got it up right now, let me change the filter, and if you say 20 by 3, it essentially says the entire state of Texas has got 80 to 100% coverage in every uh, census block. Well, most people you ask in the business would say that is definitely not accurate. Um, but what makes it accurate, I think, uh, is technically um, HughesNet and Starlink um, technically offer that kind mm -hmm. of service technically in all these areas. Um, and so that's kind of a problem because, you know, if you say, well, 25 by 3 is the benchmark and Texas is fully covered, and if you go to 100 by 20, it's like, still really great coverage well it kind of makes you think well you know is it really that bad money? Yeah. and so is texas going to get any money are these rural areas going to get the money and you know if if the if, you know if it's considered that um they've got um starlink or HughesNet, well that's not necessarily the robust kind of coverage that the fcc is trying to support um for build out so a lot of challenges are going to be needed to get this to be accurate. And there's not a lot of time because 
you know, NTIA is trying to get this money out. So the FCC controls those maps, right? So it's not like somebody could go in there and, and under report for their state in an attempt to gain more funds. Well, the data is, comes from, uh, a lot of different sources, but I mean, a lot of it is self-reporting from providers, service providers. Um, and they tried to change the, uh, rubric sort of to where you couldn't say well i served one person at this level in this census block so we have this whole census block covered um which is kind of how the maps worked before so now you actually have to show like a percentage of coverage so that's kind of better but you know everyone pretty much agree when i went to the um texas telephone association meeting you know at the beginning of december uh, they were all or uh, i guess the some of the po- folks i talked to were mostly like yeah we all know this is a joke um but, you know, back in the 16th of December, the Alan Davidson, who's the head of the NTIA, he basically was, you know, saying this is really great. He's touting these maps, but he said, uh, let me find the actual quote here. Um, he said he's incredibly uncomfortable with the January 13th deadline. Okay. Um, yeah, and which is accurate. Um, I think a lot of the states are very concerned about this because, you know, there's a lot of money at stake. And if the maps show that there's actually, things are not as bad as we thought they were, um, from a broadband access standpoint, then are we going to get any money? Um, so on, let's see, let's see, I think it was Monday of this week, a letter signed by local governments and organizations in 19 states and the district of Columbia was, uh, sent to the FCC urging for a delay in the deadline to challenge its preliminary map, push back the allocation of federal money, um, and basically what they're saying is we do not have the resources to do all the challenges we need to do. It's just too much. Um, and it is. I mean, you can actually go onto that map and do a challenge yourself. Um, and it's interesting. I, I, I did this. Yeah. So I went to a location of my old uh, place where I used to live where I had to operate on uh, – a hotspot that gave me about three meg downloads um, all the time. And it says that that house, and again, I moved it from there like three years ago, but or two years ago, but it says that it's got 100 by 20 megabit uh, service there. Nice. Which I don't think that's true. Um, and I could actually go challenge that. I'm not going to, but it says the providers are. Uh, Let's leave, we can leave them nameless. We, we don't, we don't need to. Uh... Well, it's mostly, yeah, it's mostly satellite. But I mean, what the thing you don't really factor in is that, you know, that certain unique areas, like if you're talking about fixed wireless, you know, there's a mountain behind my house that blocked blocked the tower that was there nearby. So, you know, it's fair, but it does not have um, actually terrestrial service. So, you know, what are they going to do about that? If I wanted to, I could go in there and issue a challenge right there on the website, but you have to upload documentation and you have to put your name and your email address. And then you have to say, under threat, of, under uh, whatever of perjury, that what you're supplying is accurate. So, dissuade a few people. Yeah. So you know, but there is a process there. It's just the, the whole idea is that there's just not enough time to get this done before the deadline for dispersing the funds. So it'll be interesting to see how the FCC or the NTIA respond to this. But there's really a big push going on right now to try to push back that. Um, disbursement dates so there's more time for these challenges to take place and really just to make sure that this money is being allocated in a way that's going to achieve what the intended goal is yeah just want it allocated fairly and properly right to the areas that need it most um and to the 
um, from the state level down to the commercial level, like the organizations that are actually going to provide it and come through. So absolutely mm-hmm. nothing wrong with the, we want to, we want to get it right the first time. Yeah. So that's kind of an ongoing thing. It's really, and I just, I do think that the map is pretty interesting because you can literally go and look at an address and click on a little green dot there that says it's served and it'll tell you what, you know, is alleged to be served there. Um, and the overlays that you can do on the maps are pretty fascinating. So uh, I think it's a cool thing. I think it's probably closer we've ever gotten to having accurate maps, but, um, uh, yeah, so yeah, the, but they're still not accurate and we need to finish this challenge process. What we're going to end up with afterwards, I think is going to be a really useful product. Yeah. So if you're in the, in the market to buy a house and you're going to move, it might be a nice map to check. If you want to check your uh, internet connectivity, if that's important to you before you, before you purchase the house, would have been good to know. The more you yeah. know, the more you know. The more you know. So that's the latest on uh, the FCC broadband maps as they pertain to disbursement of bead funds. Andy, it sounds like show season is already ramping up. I think we've got stuff starting as early as uh, February. What's what's on the docket for sh- trade shows? Yeah, a couple big um, telecom industry trade shows slash events uh, coming up. The first one, like you said, in February, February 20th to the 23rd, we have a Nate Unite. That's going to be in Orlando, Florida mm. uh, this year. Uh, what's Nate? Nate is uh, the you know, telecom tower industry um, professional organization. Uh, and I'll just read the uh, the Nate Unite description here right off the uh, their website. Nate Unite is the place to interact with key decision makers in the broadcast and telecommunications tower erection service and maintenance industry. Uh, displays ranging from service providers to manufacturers of industry-related products highlight the exhibition. So if, uh, if you are involved or want to be involved in uh, the telecom tower industry, um, the Nate Unite Show might be a good one to go to. And uh, the second one in uh, in the spring, and you know, there's a lot of a lot of smaller and medium sized shows out there. But uh, another big one um, is Connect X, and Connect X is going to be in New Orleans, Louisiana, May 8th through the 10th of uh, of 2023. Um, it's going to have some featured speakers. Uh, you know, we have the uh, the CEO from Crown Castle. Uh, the CEO and co-founder of Vertical Bridge, president of SBA, one of those tower companies, an EVP from AT&T, the chief technology ambassador from Verizon, right? So a lot of heavy hitters, a lot of big players um, from all parts of the telecom industry, right? From from cable and broadband to um, cellular to the tower industry, right? A lot of different parts of the telecom industry. Uh, a bunch of heavy hitters will be here at ConnectX. Um and yeah, so it's um, from straight from their website, ConnectX hosts the end-to-end 5G supplier ecosystem from the ground up. So it seems like a, a, it's going to be an awesome event uh, to learn and make connections at. Um, so yeah, if you're uh, if you're going to be at Nate Unite or ConnectX, you know, definitely hit us up. Let us know. Um, we'll have, uh, I think we'll be there as well. Uh, I know we'll definitely be at ConnectX um, and the podcast will be there too. Yeah, looking forward to that. All right, everybody. Hey, thanks again for uh, listening to Andy and John Talk Telecom. As always, follow us on YouTube, listen to us on Spotify, Amazon Audible, um, where else? iTunes, all that good stuff. All the platforms. All the platforms, yeah. Follow us. So Follow us. Give us a five-star rating if you feel like it, and tell all your friends.
tell all your friends. Yeah, we, John and I were looking at some stats from uh, from the podcast for 2022. And uh, John, can you? Do you remember what the uh, obviously we were most listened to in the United States, but the second, uh, the can you round out the top five of uh, of countries for uh, for us? You know, sadly, Ghana did not make the list, even though <laughs> we're so popular there. But yeah, uh, the UK uh, was on there. Um, man, Hong Kong, I think. Yeah, Hong Kong. Came yeah, number five. Yeah, oh, man, Canada and Germany in between. Man, that's fantastic. Seventy. Seventy-two countries overall. So thanks, guys. Uh, that's some international reach. Thanks, everybody. Yeah. So I mean, we sincerely appreciate it. Uh, we are coming up on episode fifty, um, and yeah, we couldn't have done it without people listening. So thank you. Yeah. Huge thanks, everybody. Andy, you ready to get out of here? Let's get out of here, John. I will. Uh, I'll catch you next time. All right. Take care, everybody. Talk to you soon. Later, Andy. See you.